Today we are concluding our series in Malachi. One of persons from the contemporary worship side said, you can also call it Malachi. Malachi. This series has challenged us to snap out of spiritual apathy. And what is apathy? Especially spiritual apathy. Maybe just going through the motions. Lack of enthusiasm or passion for God or concern or interest. You see, God wants us to be passionate about loving Him. All heart, mind, soul, and strength. To give our lives completely over to His will and His way. And it's up to us to decide that. There's a fictional tale that is told in the management seminars about a younger manager who is replacing a retiring executive. The younger man approached the older, uh, venerated leader and asked, Sir, I know that you are a legend and that you've become a leader in this company. Could you give me some advice as I try to fill your shoes? The older man pondered the question and responded three words make good decisions that's good advice the young man replied as he wrote them down making good decisions what's the key to making good decisions the younger man asked one word the veteran executive replied experience and how do I get this said the young man, as he was asked to, as he scribbled experience onto the paper, two words the retiring man answered bad decisions. <laughs> decisions, decisions, decisions. Richard Petty of the Ohio State University, as a psychologist, estimates that each one of us makes over thousands of decisions each day. It ranges from the trivial, whatever I'm going to have, Italian or Mexican, or, or from moral good, from evil choices, or priority from, from best to better. And in these decisions, we want to make good choices. Why? Because we are the sum total of our, of our decisions. We make our decisions, and our decisions make us. Mary Kay Ash said, be careful of the choices you make today. They will become your lifestyle tomorrow. You see, each day we face choices regarding our walk with God. And to help us be not apathetic about our faith. Choosing uh, from, from clo the closing of Malachi's book, let me explain five areas where Malachi calls us to make good decisions. Malachi 3, 13 through 15 and verse 18. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? Have you said it is futile to serve God? What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. And certainly evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Verse 18. 
And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. And Malachi is asking the question, will you render service to others? That's a pulse, that's a temperature taking of of your apathetic life. Some people of Malachi addressed that they were guilty of whining and complaining. They were talking to each other about their complaints against God. And when confronted, they denied that wrongdoing. And this is the seventh time in the book that they deny their heirs. What were they talking about? Well, serving God was a drudgery for them. It was useless. Worshiping and tithing and serving had no purpose uh, for them. It was all vain and empty and futile. And this complaint rears its ugly head in our hearts today. Some people stop serving when they get apathetic toward God because they don't see the benefit. I'm not getting anything out of it. Or I've, I've been faithful, yet God doesn't bless me. And what's even more, evil people seem to prosper while uh, good people suffer. Malachi raised the bar on service for us. He showed us that service distinguishes the righteous from the wicked. And when you love God, you can't help but to be filled with love for those you come encounter with. Righteousness, it's automatic. Love of God is automatic and you can't help but to serve. And righteousness in God's sight is more than just a profession of faith, my friends. Righteousness of true faith will prove itself in the heart of service. And serving God is serious business. He commands us to serve. Isn't it interesting that we want to be called servant, but we don't want to be treated that way? We want people to look at our humility and say, what a servant. But when treated like servants, we complain and compare, just as Israelites in Malachi's day, and we say, that's not fair, or I'm not being treated right. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Servants don't have rights. They have given up their rights. Servants don't talk about fairness. They just serve. By the way, all the great people of the Bible were called servants. God referred to Moses as my servant Moses. And we have the ultimate service servant in Jesus Christ. He set a pattern for us. He came, as he said, not to be served, but to serve. And we have to follow his example. He washed the feet of his friends. He healed lepers, the blind the lame. He changed water into wine on a wedding day, and he chose willingly to lay down his life on the cross for all of us. And each day presents a choice of serving or not. What is your decision? Malachi then digs into another subject, our second subject, and is that of reverence. He writes in chapter 3, verse 16, Then those who feared the Lord talked to each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. So Malachi begs the question, Will you revere God? Some of the people uh, Malachi spoke to took God seriously. They feared Yahweh and had high regard for his name. And their names were written down. Fearing the Lord is is a heartfelt uh, synonym of heartfelt worship for the God, for who he is and what he is. Sinclair Ferguson wrote this. 
is at one and the same time, number one, the consciousness of being in the presence of true greatness and majesty. Number two, a thrilling sense of privilege. Number three, an overflow of respect and admiration. And perhaps supremely, number four, a sense that his opinion about my life is the only thing that really matters. What if we approached God that way? To revere God is to have a heart that is sensitive to both his godness and his graciousness. To esteem his name means to honor his person. These actions acknowledge that the Lord is who he claims to be, the sovereign God of the universe, the creator of you and me and of all things, and the redeemer of all humankind. And he's to be held in awe. He's not to be trifled with, as Malachi says. He's a consuming fire, and we should tremble in his presence. A.W. Tozer said that to know God is to fear him and be stunned by the splendor of his majesty. God exists not just to meet our needs. If anything, we exist to meet his demands. Again, he is the master, and we, we are the servants. He has rights. We have responsibilities. He is to be worshipped. We are the worshipers. God is not just some big guy in the sky, the man upstairs. He's the Lord of hosts, the God of most high, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, almighty, holy, holy, holy. And the only proper response, my friends, is that he deserves great reverence and respect. And when we see him as glorious, our hearts are hushed in reverence before him. Each day, my friends, presents a choice of revering God or not. What is your decision? The next decision Malachi shifts his focus is to re, is reward from God. Malachi 3.17 says, On that day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. Here's the next question. Will you be rewarded by God that benefit comes from reverence in verse 17 there's five aspects of God's character that identify the rewards God offers to those who serve and fear him the first one is is that God listens to us you see Malachi says that the Lord takes notice and listens and when we revere God he gives us his undivided attention the image communicated is that God is leaning forward toward you, my friends, in your hurts, in your habits, and in your hang-ups. And when we turn to God, he tunes in to our frequency. Also, God remembers us. Malachi says that this book of remembrance was written for those who feared him and had high regard for his name. You know, Oriental re rulers frequently recorded the names and deeds of citizens who did beneficial deeds to make certain that they were not forgotten. And the time came for appropriate rewards for those people. God keeps tabs on us. He remembers what we've done. In fact, the only thing that God forgets is our confessed sins. God said, Isaiah in 49, 16, I've inscribed you on the palm of my hands. When we write something on our hand or on our arm, we won't forget it. And God doesn't forget us. He remembers us. Next, Malachi says that God claims us. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts. 
they will be mine. And that's uh, emphatic. Those who fear God belong to him. And when we come in faith in Jesus Christ, we transfer ownership. We are not our own. God owns us. We are his chosen people. We are acclaimed people. Malachi also makes it clear that God treasures us. He says a special possession on the day I am preparing. And special possession means to be set aside. To, For example, you may have possessions and those are of great value. But you take some things and you place them there for very, very, very safekeeping. God treasures you in that same way. You matter to him far more than you will ever, ever know. And lastly, Malachi shows us that God spares us. He says, I will have compassion on them as a father has compassion on his son who serves him. Malachi, it's a book of warning about God's judgment. But it's also a book about God's compassion, sparing those who serve, fear, and honor God. You know, we deserve justice, but God grants us mercy. We don't receive what we deserve, do we? We receive more than what we deserve. God spares us. We all like rewards, we like bonuses, we like frequent flyer miles or cash back from our favorite credit card or store, but no rewards can come close to those of God. And he spares us and treasures us. And each day, the evil one confronts us and assaults us to deceive and destroy us through wrong thinking. He would have us not believe these rewards. So we're faced with a choice. Will we believe the lies of the enemy or the words of God? My friends, what is your decision? Next, Malachi gives stern warnings to the people of Israel. In Malachi 4, 1 through 3, he said, Surely the day is coming. It'll be like a furnace. All the arrogant and evil doers will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. No root or branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. That's a great image, isn't it? Then you will trample on the wicked, and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. You see, Malachi, in his final words here, he's bringing the hammer down. And he's asking this question of these people, will you be ready for judgment. Make, he says, make no mistake about it. There will be a day when judgment will come, symbolized by fire. And on this day, uh, God will intervene dramatically into the affairs of history. And on that day, the wicked will be burned up the way a fire singes and destroys hay. And this, this phase, not leaving, this phrase of not leaving them root or branches indicates the complete removal of evil from the face of the earth. The wicked are like ashes, he says, under the feet of God's people. But in saints, for saints, in contrast, we will see a new day. We'll have a day of rejoicing and celebration just as the rays of the sun bring warmth and health. God will bring wholeness to every aspect of our lives. You see, Malachi reminds us that that day is coming. Are you ready for that coming judgment? You know, Seattle's famed kingdom 
It was the home of the Seattle Mariners, the uh, Seahawks, and at times the Supersonics played there. It was destroyed in, on March 26, the year 2000. The demolition company took extreme measures to ensure that no one would be in danger. The engineers, they, they checked and they rechecked the structure. They evacuated several blocks around the kingdom. And safety measures were ensured that the countdown could stop at any time if there was a concern about safety. All workers were individually accounted for by radio before the explosives were detonated. Large public address system announced the final countdown. And in short, the company took every reasonable measure to warn people about the impending danger. Malachi does the same. This day could be the day. And he asks us, and he asks the people of Israel, are you ready? How will we face judgment? And God gives us the answer, my friends. It is found in Christ Jesus. You see, thanks be to God, Jesus Christ is our advocate. Jesus is our defense. And now an advocate is a person who comes to our aid and pleads our case to a judge. Advocates, they offer support, they offer strength, they offer counsel to intercede for us when necessary. The Bible says that Jesus is, is the advocate for those who put their trust in him. 1 John 2.1 says, My dear children, I write to you so that you will not sin. But anybody who does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. You see, in the human court system, my friends, an advocate speaks for the rights of his or her client. We call them lawyers because they've studied the in intricacies of the law and can navigate through those often complicated statutes with accuracy and precision. Jesus is our advocate to the Father. God's righteous law, it really does pronounce us guilty on all counts. We have violated God's standards. We have rejected His right to rule our lives and even continue to sin even after coming to the knowledge of the truth. The only just punishment for such wickedness is eternal separation from God. But Jesus stands as our advocate between our repentant hearts and the law. If his blood has been applied to our lives through faith and our confession to him as Lord, he pleads our case to the righteous judge. And we might imagine how this conversation is going. He says, Father, I know this one has sinned and violated our commands. He's guilty as charged. However, you have said that my sacrifice is sufficient payment for the debt he owes. My righteousness was applied to his account when he trusted in me for salvation and forgiveness. I've paid the price. So he is pronounced not guilty. There's no debt left for him to pay. That's what Christ does. Hundreds of years after, after Malachi wrote this prophecy, Jesus Christ came in the world to save us. Will you trust him? What is your decision? Lastly, Malachi makes his final message to the people. Malachi 4.4 4, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb and all Israel. You see, the last decision that Malachi pleads for the people to make is, will you remember God's law? The law of Moses was the rule of life for the Jews. 
And the word translated remember means to obey. And obedience to God's will brings out the greatest fulfillment in our life as we experience joy in being obedient unto him. Keeping God's law doesn't save Christians, but we do enjoy the most reward of life of conforming to his commandments. I heard of a news crew that went assigned to uh, South Florida during the filming of the widespread destruction of Hurricane Andrew. In one scene, uh, in the midst of the devastation and debris, one one house stood on its foundation. Sir, why is your house the only one in the entire neighborhood that is standing? Asked the reporter. How did you manage to escape the severe damage of the hurricane? The man said, I built this house. I built it according to the Florida State Building Code. When that code called for two-by-six roof trusses, I used two-by-six roof trusses. I was told that a house built according to the code would withstand a hurricane. I did, and it did. I suppose no one else around here followed that code. In Matthew 7, Jesus told his disciples about following his word. It's like a person building his house on a foundation of rock. When the storms come, and they will, that house will stand. Each day, my friends, presents a day of decision to obey God's word or not. What is your decision? In his sermon, Writing on the Wall, William Willimon tells the story of an aggravating uh, funeral at a country church. The preacher, he said, pounded on the pulpit and looked over at the casket. And he would say, it's too late for Joe. He might want to get his life together. He might want to spend more time with his family. He might have wanted to do that, but he's dead now. It's too late for him, but it's not too late for you. There's still time for you. You can still decide. You are still alive. It's not too late for you. Today is the day of decision. And then the preacher told how a Greyhound bus had run into the funeral possession one time on the way to the cemetery. And he said that could easily happen today. And then the preacher said, you should decide today. Today is the day you get your life together. It's too late for old Joe, but it's not too late for you. Willimon, who was a pastor, he said, I was so angry at that preacher. On my way home, I told my wife, have you ever seen anything as manipulative and insensitive to that poor family? I found it disgusting. She said, I've never heard anything like that. It was manipulative. It was disgusting. It was insensitive. But worst of all, it was true. (laughs) You see, the book of Malachi, over the past few weeks, has called us to get out of that apathy. To give our lives completely to God. And it is a day of decision, I believe, today. And these five decisions are monumental. Will you render service to others to keep that fire burning? Will you revere God to keep that fire burning? Will you accept the rewards from God to keep that fire burning? Will you be ready for judgment to keep that fire blazing within you? Will you remember God's law to keep those flames ignited? What is your decision today, my friends? Will you join me in prayer? God, we thank you for this series and how you have operated through it, through the ministry of your word and teaching. 
God, we pray that our lives would, would, would be filled with, with vigor, fervor, enthusiasm, excitement for you and the good things that we find in your word and through prayer and through the ministry of the church and the Holy Spirit. God, we pray that you would remove any apathy from our lives and that we would go and walk each day, each day, that blaze burning in our bellies for you, for loving you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Thank you for raising up Malachi and this message that he gave to the Israelites, and it means so much to us today. And may we truly live it out in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.